When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. Uh, We are taping this Sunday morning. Lots to talk about. Uh, One thing that we've touched on a little bit, but I think it became even more glaring, Stu, uh, yesterday was another real dud of a performance by Texas A&M, this time on both sides of the ball. Uh, They got really whipped by an unranked Mississippi State team. Okay, now, again, we've heard plenty about how stars matter and everything. They've recruited really well. They're paying Jimbo a fortune. How do, I don't want to say how does this end, but, like, how when is this going to start to turn? Because, I mean, does he is he going to have to go out and hire an offensive coordinator to take over the offense from himself? The moment I realized it had turned, Bruce, is when Billy Lucci turned on him yesterday. Billy, if you don't know, we, we love him, but he's – Texag's, you know, owner, publisher, I don't know what the exact title is. And he's, he's always going to be the last one standing on the Titanic. He's the, you know, huge, huge A&M guy. And he was tearing into Jimbo during that game and how uh, poorly coached they were, especially on offense. They also had special teams mistakes yesterday. So this is a pretty fascinating. We haven't really seen anything quite like this where they gave the guy this enormous, Fully guaranteed contract. So it has to work. There's no, uh, there's no plan B. He has to make it work. And uh, yeah, I think he has to blow up his offense and start over. I, I don't know that you can do that midstream. He's going to have to get a, 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 a somebody who, first of all, is the play caller. I don't think he should be the play caller anymore. And I would recommend a different scheme entirely because you know, and I know that right now they're the anti Ari Wasserman stars matter, but there's players there. This is not, I don't think they missed on everybody. There's players there. Doesn't seem like they have a quarterback right now. Well, that's the interesting thing for a while. Jimbo was known as this QB whisperer because he'd produced a lot of first round picks. Now you can go further into that and go, well, some, most of those first round picks, Jamarcus Russell obviously did not have a, you know, did not live up to the first round hype. Christian Ponder definitely didn't. Uh, Jameis has had Jameis probably had the most success, but it's been pretty up and down considering how high he was drafted. Uh, EJ Manuel also, you know, didn't have a exceptional NFL career once he got in. And then you're seeing, you know, the last couple of years the offense has been dreadful. Um, but I think it's even more than that. Like I mean, right now they're near the bottom of the SEC in run defense. They're ranked twelfth. Yeah, that surprises me. It's not just um, – and they have good players on that side of the ball. Obviously, they had a, a world-class um, recruiting class on the D-line last year, but they got a lot of guys on that defense who, who uh, you know, played a bunch. And it's just surprising how they got whipped yesterday. I mean – This is year This is year five, and 
you know, he had one really good season in the COVID year. And then other than that, you know, it's kind of a nine and four type seasons, but nobody ever jumped off the bandwagon because it was just wait. He's bringing in his recruits. Number, the greatest recruiting class of all time is coming in. It's just a matter of time, just a matter of time before he is contending for national championships. And they're not close to that right now. Um, now that number one rated recruiting class, they're all freshmen. You know, you wouldn't expect necessarily that to have the big impact until next year or the year after. But yeah, it, the question is, can Jimbo Fisher kind of suck up his pride and hand over the offense to somebody else next year? In the meantime, but Stu, I don't think it's just, I mean, I think that is, people may say, okay, that's the solution. I'm going to read to you what they've given, like, the last three weeks, they gave up almost five yards of carry to Miami. Miami does not have a great offense right now. Miami ran for 175 yards. They gave up almost 250 to Arkansas last week and needed kind of a couple of really quirky things to happen. And then Mike Leach's team, the Air Raid, ran for six yards of carry yesterday. Yeah, I think yesterday was as you know, as as much flack as they got for losing to Appalachian State and for obvious reasons. To me, yesterday was more troubling. I do think Mississippi State's pretty good, but just the breakdown in all facets of the game. Um, Mike Leach afterward, I don't know if you saw this clip, spent like a minute and a half talking to Alyssa Lang, the sideline reporter, about wedding planning. So he was in a good mood. Um, I think think if you're right about that, right, If if you think that the problems go beyond the offense, I think they. Then, I think they're beyond. I think that's that's one of the problems. I just don't think it's like this is a case of this is Iowa, you know, where it's just like the offense is so bad, but the defense is so good. The defense is really good with Mike Elko. The defense is not that good right now. Like I said, they're near the bottom of the SEC in rushing off the defense, and that's a that is an SEC stat. I'll give you Arkansas can run the football. You know, Mississippi State and Miami are not uh, that, you know. So I think I think there are bigger concerns. Now, look, there's a lot of young talent there. I think the question is going to be, and I've wondered this for a while, it's great you hired this, like, all-world recruiting – you hired, I'm sorry, you, uh, you landed this all-world recruiting class. This is different era now than it was 10 years ago. I don't know how many of these guys are definitely going to stay, especially if they see that, um, you know, things are struggling and things are shaky right now. And I'm suspecting when you're paying Jimbo Fisher what you're paying him and your team is going to struggle to get bowl eligible, and that's what it looks like they're going to do this year, Jimbo Fisher may be staying, but a lot of the assistants who recruited those guys, they may not be staying. They probably right. will be, they'll probably be pushed out the door. Um. So if, if you, you know, they're playing Alabama this week. This was the game that At Alabama. Uh, what's that? At Alabama, no less. Doesn't it seem like a million years ago now, the Jimbo Saban spat? Uh, I went back and looked at it last night and it, you know, basically what happened was it got pushed out of the news cycle pretty quickly by 8,000 other things this off season, most notably realignment. It's just crazy to look back at it now, though. Like Jimbo Fisher got up there and said that Nick Saban thinks he's a god and he's a narcissist and some maybe somebody should have slapped him. It was wild. And and everybody was like, oh, gosh, wait till October 8th. Saban's going to take it out on him. Well, 
Jimbo may have caught a little bit of a break because Bryce Young is hurt and we don't know if he'll be able to play next week. But otherwise, uh, you know, a year after A&M beat them in, in a big upset, uh, this could be real ugly. Yeah, I mean, look, they're sitting there at uh, right now with a 3-2 and two record, which we're pretty confident. Imagine that. if the Arkansas field goal had, had not bounced up the, off the upright. Ooh. Yeah, look, imagine if Miami could, play, could do something in the red zone. You yeah. know, it was like – I, at this point, I think you're looking at a three and three team, you know, after this weekend. And then, you know, it's not like it's a murderer's row. There's really only one ranked team that they have of the last six, and it's Mississippi at home, right? You got at South Carolina. South Carolina's 0-2 in the SEC. You got Florida, they're 0-2 in the SEC. You got Auburn in mid-November. You know, is Brian Harson going to be the head coach then? He's had a bad loss. Then you got UMass, they're god awful. Then you got LSU at home. LSU should be entering the rankings this week, I would imagine. Yeah, but if they uh, are, it's going to be, you know, like 23. Yeah. So, it's hey, just- look, maybe maybe it ends up being like seven and five, um, and, and it's less of a complete freakout. But, yeah, this is not what – from the moment the president gave him that national championship plaque with the date left open, the expectations couldn't have been any higher. And five years in, they're not even close to it. Um can I let me go back on you know you know and I'm definitely friendly with Billy Lucci. I like him a lot, and he knows that program better than anybody in the media. Uh, he went there. He's been close to that program for a long time. I was curious because I saw the tweet you saw, and I you could see the frustration in there. I'm interested when you know there's a pro- part of certain programs when you know certain either factions or certain people are like start to look at it kind of sideways that's a bad sign it doesn't mean you can't turn around and you know look i i don't know if anybody ever looked at that with kirby smart four years in but he's obviously turned the corner and won a national title there um kirby smart made the national championship game his second season so i kind of gave him some 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 mileage right off the bat and look you don't necessarily need that i mean look there was a lot of people around lsu that didn't want ed ogeron he still won a national title there yeah so you know it's just when you when you feel like the most loyal the most um supported people start to wonder again and as you said this isn't year three this is year five and year five will be sh- like, I'll be sh- really surprised if they end up in the top 25. And that's not asking a lot given what they're paying him. I mean, they are paying. So just to, to put a number on it, um, the fully 10 year, fully guaranteed contract they gave him last year, obviously only one year into that. So he has $86 million still coming his way. 86 million. This is not, what's the highest buyout. I, I wish I knew off the top. Was it Malzahn? Who's had the highest, Probably was a couple, fortune from Notre Dame. I can't. Yeah, but that was a while ago. I have to imagine Willie Taggart. I know a, it's a private school that has a lot of money and you just don't know exactly what like we don't you don't know for sure how much David Shaw is actually getting there. I mean, we write things because the USA Today checks some records, but that's not where all the money is, actually. If somebody spends eighty six million dollars to fire a football coach, we got to be like, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> Think about all the things you could do with that money. I don't think Jimbo's getting fired anytime soon, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see in the off season what he does to, to shake up his staff and address all this. Um, another coach who's not, not feeling so great, but is not going anywhere anytime soon right now is Brent Venables. 
that was so surreal watching TCU. Like Oklahoma's had some bad defenses under Lincoln Riley. Let's not kid ourselves. But like, I mean, I texted our, our good friend, Jason Kersey. I was like, bring back Mike Stoops. <laughs> I mean, we're missing him right now. Um, TCU had four plays of over 60 yards, three of them in the first half. And it was, you're just like, are they, are they trying to play flag football? Like they, I mean, one of the, some of them, they would just be, nobody would even touch the guy. Um, Oklahoma is allowing 50 more yards on the ground than the next per game, than the next worst run defense in the big 12. And that's Texas. What a stat. Um, The other thing that's crazy is I went back and looked in the last, in the previous three years before Brent Venables took over. And again, this is not like great defenses under, under Lincoln Riley. They got to be a little better than they had been, but they had given up 275 plus yards on the ground one time in the previous three years. They've given up now, uh, 275 plus in the last two weeks twice. I mean, and it's, again, it's not like they're going up against the world's greatest run games here that are, that are doing it. You know, like, I don't know if anybody would able to be able to name TCU's, you know, obviously they know Max Duggan cause he's been there a while, but I'm not sure anybody could name who TCU's running back is outside of the big 12. You know, and I don't know if anybody, you know, Deuce Vaughn people know about, and they obviously watched, I think they probably watched that game with Adrian Martinez too. But again, this is just stunning how much it has fallen apart. Oklahoma, by the way, has allowed 78 plays of 10 plus yards. That ranks 106th in the country. That is more than uh, Wyoming has allowed. That is more than Vanderbilt has allowed. Is more than Arizona has allowed. Duke, Rice, you name it. Um, So I am not going to play the I told you so game. It's way too early for that. But what is happening is kind of what I worried about. I think people sometimes assume, okay, Brent Venables, best, I would say best defensive coordinator in college football for the past several years, two national championships. He comes in and the expectation is now they're going to have dominant defenses. Well, it doesn't work that quick. Um, now how much of this is that, that the cupboard was bare, I don't know, versus scheme. But I will say this, as also, you know, how much of it is, he's not the defense coordinator. Ted Roof is how that's what I wanted to talk about. Um, and I, I always feel bad, you know, talking negative about a coach, but I mean, there's a reason Ted Roof was an analyst at Clemson last year, that he wasn't a defensive coordinator somewhere. He has been you name the school he is he has worked there over the last 15 20 years and i don't know that anyone ever considered him to be a renowned defensive coordinator so brent venables brought him with him mostly because he was helping him run that system last year right he was a defensive analyst he knows brent venables scheme that did not look like a well coached defense and they kept flat showing him in the press box and so Oof, Ted Roof's career head coaching record from when he was at Duke, 6-45. and 45. That doesn't have to do with what I'm talking about now, but that number just stood out to me. Um, you got to get the staff right. That's the most important thing. When you're a fir- first-year head coach, but, but in this case, first-time head coach, you've got to hire the right staff, and I think that's at least one L. I haven't really dove into to the rest of the staff. So, By the um, way, 
you know, like yeah. Red River normally is a huge, you know, uh, marquee game. And I know like this is a year where Fox doesn't have it. It's probably a good year not to have it. I mean, you have two programs that are very mediocre right now. You know, the Texas's best performance so far was a close loss where, where they played hard against Alabama. And I'm guessing Oklahoma's best performance was blowing out a team in Nebraska right after they fired the head coach. Yeah, I mean, people are going to watch it, but, but almost from like a watching, you know, a, a slow motion train wreck kind of thing. Like, is, is this going to, by the way, Quinn Ewers is probably coming back. I mean, people are going to tune in to see like, is, is Texas going to, what is Texas who also is in kind of a rebuilding mode still going to slaughter Oklahoma? We will well, see. I think it's, it's, it's a weird, you know, matchup in this regard. I think people are still not really sold on Sark. Yes, he's recruiting pretty well, and he got a big, you know, big get with Arch Manning. But, like, you know, I think there's, like, as we – I think we got a, a good question last week about, you know, they followed up, they, they beat UTSA, but they lost to Texas Tech. You know, it's the kind of game where I don't want to say it, it's not a must-win game. But I think if they lose and you're like, wow, we just lost to an Oklahoma team that gave up like a million yards on the ground the last two weeks, you know, and here we got Bijan, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like you said, I don't want to call it a train wreck that people are going to watch, but I, I definitely think whoever loses this game, it's a real gut punch to them, you know, because you're getting beat by a team that I don't know anybody's going to have a whole lot of respect for. I think all you need to know, Bruce, about kind of how the season has started is that this Saturday is Red River. It's that Alabama A&M game that, that people had been hyping up since May that CBS used their one primetime pick on. And um, your competing pregame show, College Game Day, is going to Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, tell me, you know, not in a gazillion years would anybody have predicted that coming to the season, but the Jayhawks are 5-0. and The Jayhawks are 5-0. and The Horn Frogs are 4-0. and I mean, look, we've talked a lot about Lance Leipold in Kansas and Jalen Daniels. Um... Look, good job by Sonny Dykes. I mean, they – Max Duggan is one. I feel like I have two quarterbacks who you, – You've been you've been very, very loyal to him. Yes. And look, full disclosure, I like Max Duggan a lot because he looked really good in one game that I saw as a freshman. I was really impressed by him. It was a game – Was that in 2003? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, he was, he's been there forever. No, he was handing it off to LaDainian and – Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, you mean to your credit – in fact, even I think preseason this year, you're like, well, they got Max Duggan. And I'm thinking Sonny Dykes hasn't even actually named the starting quarterback yet, but he he was fantastic. Oh, yes. look, I mean, the numbers he's putting up, he's completing 75% of his passes, 11 touchdowns, zero picks. He's also, um, you know, as you said, I mean, he's rushed for like 150 yards. He is a very talented quarterback who, you know, look, he had some health issues and I think that slowed him down. And Sonny Dykes is a really, really good offensive coach, right? I mean, he's got Lincoln Riley's brother as, you know, as helping run the offense. But I think this is a, this is a fun game. You know, I mean, it's, um, by the way, it's, I, I mean, it is an FS1 game. I don't know if this will be a Brando game, um, but, but uh, I'm very curious. I want to watch. I, I want to see, you know, I, you know, one thing that kind of, I don't, I don't want to spot, spotlight it too much, but like, so we're at the airport in Cedar Rapids. It's, you know, pretty much our whole uh, big noon crew is flying back and you, you, we're not getting anything on the plane, you know, obviously, but 
before the plane leaves, I'm just kind of looking, trying to follow along at the Kansas-Iowa State game. And I think I had had like a Twitter search function for Kansas football. And I'm like, oh my God, like there's a bunch of people in here, more than one, who are being super critical of Lance Leipold's like in-game decisions. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, if Lance Leipold decides, I want to put seven men on the field before the snap and that's it, the Kansas fans would go, yeah, that's probably going to confuse them. We're going to trust it. Instead, I was like, man, and I don't know if it was just like, because, you know, you can't. Twitter's There's always going to be one. But I was, but there was more than one. I was like, really? A bunch of these people? I mean, you can look it up. I was like, I don't, honestly, I don't know what he did that offended them so much in the game. But it was like, our players are playing so hard and the coach is losing it. You know, and. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I mean, look, it was a defensive struggle. Uh, it wasn't uh, Jalen Daniels throwing for a bunch of yards. It was 14 to 11. And that, to me, was impressive in its own right because Kansas had some made some big-time defensive plays. And we're just so conditioned to, well, they don't have any players there. No, they got some players there, I mean, apparently including on the other side of the ball. Uh, Max yeah, Duggan, they, by the way, the pride of Council Bluffs, Iowa, believe it or not, is just a fourth-year senior. <laughs> Four-year yeah, well, starter, well, but, but you know, true year. senior. By the way, you know who could use them a lot? The home state school in, in uh, Iowa could certainly use him. Um, well, I the question that. is, if you put Max Duggan in the Iowa offense, how much better would it actually be? Like, is it is it really a quarterback can save it, or is it the offense itself? I, I noticed I was reading Scott Docterman's uh, story from the Michigan game yesterday, and he's like, well, you can't say the offense didn't improve. They had a season-high 292 yards. Ugh. When that's yeah. your season high, uh, you've got a problem. But, um, yeah, the Big 12 just continues to fascinate me. I actually do wonder if Oklahoma State might be the clear best team. Uh, they they played very well at Baylor yesterday. And they've got – I mean, I don't want to say they're dominant by any means, but, like, they've got the quarterback. They've got good players on offense. They've got good players on defense. They had a kick return touchdown. Like, they're – they're pretty good in all phases. And I feel like when we talk about the big 12, when we say there's no bad teams, yes, that's true. But there's also not necessarily I me, mean, even Kansas state who had a good win yesterday again and ran for like 350 yards. You know, they did lose to Tulane. I could think you could say they're one dimensional. So um, I might be jumping on the o- Oklahoma state bandwagon. The one on the bottom end of that, um, you know, people are like, who's the worst team in the league? The worst team in the league seems to be West Virginia. They're two and three and zero oh and two. And I just keep going, going back to like, how bad is Virginia Tech? Because I want West Virginia just light them up at, in Blacksburg, you know. And um, well, I've been giving them a lot of credit for taking Pitt to the wire and Pitt yesterday. Yeah, laid a complete egg and lost to Georgia Tech um, at home. That's not good. <laughs> That's not good, Pat Narduzzi. No, the beginning of the Brent Key era starting out with a flourish there in in, uh, in Atlanta. So somebody's got to win that division. Um, <clears throat> I thought it would be Pitt, but who knows? Maybe not. Let's talk about the number one team in the country, shall we? All right. So I'm like, we're kind of keeping an eye on this game. At one point, it was nineteen to nine. I think it might even be sixteen to three. Mizzou, which has been kind of a I don't know, just kind of feel like a really definition of mediocrity this year in the SEC. And Georgia, who looked really dominant, obviously, against Oklahoma, against Oregon, but Georgia did not look great against Kent State. You know, they kind of sputtered around a little bit. 
they really struggled and had their hands full with the Tigers. Um, do you, are you are you careful not to read too much into that and say, okay, they just had a couple of like shaky performances, or do you think this is a sign of like, eh, maybe they're not as good as we thought? Well, after the after the Oregon and South Carolina games, they look like the greatest football team of all time. Uh, I think we learned yesterday that you know, like everybody, they have some weaknesses or some question marks. What really stood out was they could not handle Missouri's pass rush. And, and from an early point in the game, you could see that they were starting to change their play calling to adjust for the fact that they couldn't protect Stetson. I mean, Stetson Bennett was getting creamed. I'm pretty sure he got hurt at one point. He didn't look right. Um, yeah. They, they, so does that mean Georgia, uh, Georgia's offensive line is not very good and we just they just hadn't been exposed yet? Or did they just have a bad night? I don't know. I will say about Georgia, I mean, they still – they've got some, some just freaky players, right? In the fourth quarter, when they finally kind of got their act together and had two touchdown drives to win it, Darnell Washington is what? Six, seven, two seventy, And he's out there. Like, more than two seventy. I mean, guys he's are- out there trying to hurdle guys, you know, Brock Bowers, obviously still a, a, a part of it. Like eventually it's, it's, you know, they're going to get to you eventually. I think they just kind of wore them down and eventually nope. some big nope. plays started to pop. There was a run, and, you know, again, I'm looking at it on a sketchy Wi-Fi on the plane, and I don't know if it was Kenny McIntosh or Kendall Milton, but it was a – he brutalized one of the would-be tacklers who, 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 you know, the tackle happened, but, man, did he deliver a blow. It was about an eight-yard run. It was like, okay, that's a Georgia running back, right? And um, right. But those it, holes didn't really seem to be there until the fourth quarter. No, and I think what you saw was a team that wore down a little bit. Look, I thought Mizzou did a pretty good job um, with some of the pressure and how they brought it. And, you know, by the way, nice story in there somewhere in there. The kicker who was the was the GOAT the week before, or the GOAT in the old sense, not in the new sense, um, <laughs> against at Auburn was like – Nailing it. Nailing it from distance. There so. were a combined nine field goals in this game. Missouri had five. He hit one from 55 – and it's great because he's the he he's the thicker kicker as as somebody says the broadcaster said, and he's strutting off the field like um, that was great. Yeah, I do like that crew. By the way, that's the SEC Network crew. It's the Tom Hart, Cole Kubilik, Jordan Rogers crew. Jordan, I think Jordan Rogers. Uh, I, I think it was. The, those yeah. guys have been together for a while. It seems probably longer. They definitely have good chemistry. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com audible. That's linkedin.com audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I think a recurring theme yesterday was just, you know, we, we started with Jimbo. We talked Brent Venables. Another coach who, who is not doing so well right now is Paul Christ at Wisconsin. And we, you know, he's a fixture in our top 25 coaches lists. He I, just kind of, I don't know where to put him. We always feel like we're selling him short because he had a bunch of, or early in his career at least, that tenure at Wisconsin, 110, 111, 113, yeah. then 110. You know, so – in his first five years, he had three top 12 finishes. But then in 2020, the pandemic year, four and three. And then last year, nine and four. This year, they just lost again. They're two and three and 0 oh and two in the Big Ten and got really embarrassed by a very familiar face to Badger fans when Brent, Brent, Brett Bielema's Eli and I went in there and just whooped the Badgers. Yeah, this is, I just can't imagine. It's got to be the ultimate indignity for Badgers fans that, that their old coach comes in with a rebuilding program and beats them badly and does it kind of like the old Wisconsin way. Like he's building Illinois in much the same fashion. Chase Brown, he went into yesterday as the number one rusher in the country. I don't know if he still is, but just run the ball down your throat. And, and meanwhile, Wisconsin finished with two rushing yards too. So it's just kind of like, well, this is clearly a, a new low. Now I, I could not find updated information on what Paul Chris buyout is, but as of last year, it was 19 million and he got a contract extension. So put Paul Chris in the category of coaches who aren't going anywhere, but what's he yeah. get, but, but what's the problem here? What's he got to figure out? I, I don't want to put it all on the quarterback, but <laughs> this backslide coincides exactly with when Graham Mertz took over as the quarterback. Wow. You're really pointing the finger at a, in a sharp way. Um, well, I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying it's all him. Okay. I'm not saying that insinuating, it. but I feel like he was, he was the, you know, he was, I think a high four-star recruit. Wisconsin doesn't usually get quarterbacks. Like he was that. actually probably the biggest quarterback recruit that they've gotten out of high school since they've been there. Uh, and that, I mean, he, I, I just remember he was since the, who's been there since Barry Alvarez has been there since there've been rec- quarterback rankings. Yeah. Because, he was, I remember he was an Elite 11 quarterback and he had a lot of buzz on him. Is he going to go look at, quote, bigger branded schools are going to swoop in on him? I don't think it was that deep of a quarterback recruiting class that year. Uh, our friend Jesse Temple, who covers the Badgers for us, did a big story on his recruitment that I think, you know, got a lot of eyeballs. And he had his moments. Remember, he had like the six touchdown game against Illinois. That was his very out. first game. And that has still, that remains the high point. But what I'm trying to say is, 
I think when you bring in a guy like that, you are going to obviously try to build your offense around him. And in doing so, I think they've gotten away from the things that make Wisconsin that you think of as Wisconsin football. They're not a physical running team anymore. They have Braylon Allen. Braylon Allen was a complete non-factor yesterday. So, and I knew that the, I mean, they lost so much on defense that, that even though Jim Leonard's a great DC, they, they were going to take a little bit of a step back. Um, they're taking a big step back. They've taken they, a big step back. But that doesn't, that doesn't concern me as much as what, what has happened to the Wisconsin offense over the last three years. They've just completely lost their identity. If I told you, Wisconsin would not have one of the top eight rushing offenses in the big 10. How shocked would you be? You just, you take it for granted because it's been 30 years of this, right? Ever since Alvarez took over and I believe 89 or 90, you just take it for granted. They'll always going to have a good offensive line. They're always going to have a star running back. Braylon Allen did look like a star running back last year. I'm sure he still has that in him. Um, have they missed on offensive linemen? Are they, I don't know. I just know that ever since, they, they, he's, they're remaining very loyal to Graham Mertz and he just continues to throw interceptions and have bad games. And I don't know if the answer is a quarterback change or something much deeper, but it's going to be Paul Christ who's going to have to figure it out much like Jimbo at A&M. Yeah, it's, it is definitely interesting. Um, by the way, just to follow up, cause you threw it out there, Chase Brown, pride in him cause he's one of our freaks list guys. He does lead the nation in rushing from Illinois. Well, I mean, got to give it to our man, Brett Bielema. He's still got it. Uh, we, both like, we both really like that hire, love the fit. and Illinois you know, has not finished with a winning season since 2011. And I remember 2011 Illinois very well because that was the year they went to the Craft Fight Hunger Bowl out here. And oh, I was like you had experience with Jeff Brom out there, right? I embedded with uh, – they had fired Ron Zook. I honestly can't remember who the head new interim head coach, but it was basically like, what's it like? Cause UCLA was also playing with an interim staff. Like what's it like to play in a bowl game with an interim staff? And, um, and so that they, they get their last winning season was a year where they fired their coach. Um, they're four and one. I would think they're going to have a winning season this year. Kudos to Brett Bielan. By the way, also kudos to another uh, recent audible guest, Jim Mora. How about that? UConn. Beats Fresno State, first FBS win since 2019. Wow, that's crazy. It's been that long, but yeah, g- good for Jim Mora. Um, by the way, just on back on Venables for um, Venables, Bielema for one more second. Um, quite a double here. He got he has Wisconsin last week, and then Iowa, another program close to his heart. Um, right after that, so another program that's really really struggling on offense. Um, yeah, Okay, so earlier you said I gave you props for Max Duggan. You never lost the faith. You definitely never lost the faith on Chip Kelly, even when they were going, I don't know, three and nine, whatever they were doing. Each year they've gotten a little bit better. Um, I've been of the opinion, like I, I, you know, obviously Dorian Thompson Robinson is really good. Zach Charbonnet is really good. I went there in the spring. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I think these guys will be decent, but it's just much like Ari Wasserman. I just didn't think you could have a Pac-12 championship contender with the with the level of recruits, high school recruits he's brought in. But one thing he's been very good at is the transfer portal. And when I was there in the spring, Jake Bobo's name kept coming up, transfer receiver from Duke. Well, on Friday night, UCLA absolutely took it to Washington, Washington team that itself had been very dominant in the first four games. 
And that's the best, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that the best game DTR's ever had? Yes, no doubt. I mean, DTR, let's take his throwing for a so- for out for a second. There were three wow plays DTR made that, that really didn't involve him completing a pass. Um, and two made the highlights. One, DTR, and he did this in our game last year against USC, hurdles a defender. And when he hurdles a defender, it looks like, it should be on a track uh, on a track. Yeah. Some of the still pictures of that were unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's vintage DTR. Then there was the juke at the, at the goal line where it's like effortless and two Husky players collide into each other and fall down like a heap. But the play to me of all was he breaks up a pass where it looks like a, a nose guard or a three technique is about to, to pick off a pass could be a big momentum play and DTR goes in and, you know, look, former receiver at Gorman, he breaks up the play and then he kind of talks about it with the player afterwards. Um, Basically it was a tip ball. It, it looked like the nose guard was going to intercept it. And, and he knocked, he, he, he knocked it free and then did the incomplete sign. It was great. Um, uh, he not was, as good as he, like the issue with DTR has always been a little bit of decision-making and sometimes, you know, he's been really streaky. Right. Good DTR. And we had that last year. And in the beginning of the USC game had a couple of turnovers, I think I know he had at least one that was really costly and he just settled in and went to work. And that's what he did the other day. Like Michael Penix Jr. was the one who had the turnovers. And I thought that was actually a really good performance by the UCLA defense. The, the thing that I feel like people don't get about UCLA here is DTR was a recruit. He's actually like a, Jed Fish recruit, you know, he's been there so long, was committed there. But pretty much the rest of the best players in the program are all guys that Kelly and his staff found in the portal. Mm-hmm. Um, Jacques Arbonnet was a big recruit out, you know, from here, went to Michigan. He's a he's the best running back on the West Coast, and he's a good fit for this system. You mentioned Bobo. But then the guys on defense, you know, the Murphy twins are good players. They came from North Texas. But, you know, um, Muasau, the linebacker from from Hawaii, is a really good middle linebacker. But the one who's been kind of the 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 best one of the bunch, at least on defense, and maybe he's I think he may end up being at least for the first half of the season the Pac-12's defensive player of the year is a guy whose career was really shorted at Washington because he had a neck injury and couldn't get cleared, and that's Liatu Lato. Um, just knowing Chris Peterson well he was like, man, this kid has so much talent and it's just he they weren't going to clear him. UCLA's medical staff did. He's second in the country in, in sacks. Not only is it just the sacks, if you watch the game the other day, so this is a guy who's, for people who do know, like ZTF was a big-time edge rusher at Washington. This guy is longer, he's bigger, he's probably a better athlete. Um, you know, the Washington staff was super high on him. He just couldn't get cleared. The other night, it wasn't just the sacks. Um, he also drew a couple of big holding penalties that were difference maker plays. And I don't think UCLA's defense is great, but I think it's, you know, it's fairly, um, you know, they have some experience, they have some good players, and they made plays the other day. Uh, they're the team that I thought was, you know, I had them as a top 15 kind of team in the preseason because I know what, you know, I, I, I've seen that team in practice. I know they're better than a lot of people realize because I, I think, again, people get so caught up in what the high school recruiting rankings are. I think sometimes that's all they see. And in this case, I think it's just a little different with what they have um, on the roster. You know, like Bobo is a, is a 
is a legit number one receiver and a go-to guy. I mean, he's a big target who's a really good route runner. I mean, if he was coming out of like if you were ranking him against like a four-star recruit, I would take him because he is just really developed, you know. And whereas a lot of times I think people get caught up on what the recruit is, you know, when they're a freshman or sophomore as opposed to what they are in terms of how they fit. And again, I'm not saying UCLA is going to be a playoff contender, but I think they have a real good chance to win 10 games and um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, I can't believe you're stopping at 10 games. I was ready for you to put them in the playoff. No, I'm not ready to put anybody in the Pac-12 in the playoff because I just don't think they have enough guys on defense to do that. And I don't think they have the depth issues. Like, you said, it doesn't have a ton of depth right now, right? And so a couple of injuries, a couple of guys get banged up, and I think that really hurts them. I think their first 30 are, are very good. Beyond that, I think it gets thin. I think you look at USC, they don't have much depth on the defense, right? And so, and I just think that's what what is going to hold these programs. And USC will build that back up. I don't have any doubt in that over time. But and obviously, we were a little presumptuous on Washington's defense. By the way, you see a lot of these things happen when these teams finally go on the road. Washington played their first four games at home, then they go on the road, and it's a Friday night road game, no less. And suddenly they don't look quite so invincible. You know, Georgia goes to Missouri. Suddenly they don't look so invincible. Um, I actually said, and so somebody asked me in the, my mailbag last week, who do you see? If, you, if you're assuming Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State is the top three, who do you see as the fourth playoff team right now? And I actually said, I think it could be the Pac-12 champion because they've got some really good teams at the top of that conference. But I now there's now another contender in my mind. And it's it's not a you know not an off the radar team by any means. It is, it is the team that I picked in the preseason to get that four spot. Clemson. Yes, of all my and then there's been a quite a quite a bunch of crappy projections and prognostications, and I didn't feel that great about Clemson, but I feel pretty good about them now. Yeah, I think that that deep. First of all, DJ's performance over the last two weeks. I mean, this is this is the guy who was the five star who got the Dr. Pepper commercial night and day better than the player we saw last season. Um, and then, you know, the defense really struggled against Wake last week. They were much better against NC State. And also, by the way, Wake turned around and beat Florida State in Tallahassee. So um, Sam Hartman and those guys, it's a little bit understandable that Clemson had to go to overtime to beat them. I'm not re- fully ready to say, oh, this is like the – Clemson national championship teams, but they, I mean, they still won 10 games last year, despite having a, a terrible offense. It's not a terrible offense anymore. Uh, DJ looks good. Will Shipley made some big plays uh, last night. DJ um, looks very good, by the way. Let's not stop short. Like the thing from talking to coaches who faced him was they thought he was very panicky before. And maybe yep. some of this is confidence and just, cause he did play a lot, but um, whatever it is, he looks way more confident and comfortable. And I felt like there was a play in the uh, Georgia Tech game where it was like it was spotty at while. You know, people were talking about Cade coming in, who's the really talented freshman, and overtaking him. And you know, look, credit to Dabo. I think Dabo Sweeney. And I feel like you know he gets criticized. You know, and look, anybody who's at the top of the food chain is going to get criticized, but. He gets criticized a lot. He's not in the portal enough. He says some things that probably 
you know, rub people the wrong way when it comes to NIL or different athletes rights issues or everything. But like, I feel like he had a very nurturing and very supportive approach to how he handled DJ with that quarterback dynamic where everybody else was like, Ooh, Kate Kalbnik should be the guy taking over here. And he was very strong in defending him and supporting him. And it looks like that was a very wise decision. I mean, after the Georgia tech game, I thought it was just a matter of time before that he would he would be making that change. Well, you, just like you, you wanted him out the door, and you wanted you wanted uh, you were you wanted you were done with him. I thought it was going to be like Trevor Lawrence taking over for Kelly Bryant, and um, he you know DJ wasn't great in the Georgia Tech game, but he's been fantastic since then. He so last year he was. I mean, this is night and day better. Last year, fifty five point six completion percentage. 6.0 yards per attempt, nine touchdowns and 10 interceptions this year, 65.4%, 10, almost 10 points higher, 7.8 yards per attempt, 11 touchdowns and one interception, whatever was going on last year. He's so much more comfortable and confident. Now maybe it's Brandon Streeter being his offensive coordinator. Now, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, when you, and you look at the rest of the ACC, all right. So they've beaten, in the last two weeks, they've beaten two of their primary contenders, NC State and Wake. Uh, I do think the game at Florida State will be very tough. Um, but I don't, you know, yesterday was a little bit of a reminder that Florida State's not already there, all the way there yet. And then whoever comes out of the other division, they're going to beat by 40 in the ACC championship game. So they start to look like they might have the inside track on the fourth spot. But again, with the Pac-12, you've got undefeated USC, undefeated UCLA, uh, Oregon's got a loss, but it was to the number one team in the country, and they have been their offense has been fantastic since that game. And then Utah's still hanging around. UCLA goes and uh, UCLA hosts Utah this week, so yeah, it's I'm not necessarily um, I wouldn't necessarily write in the uh, you know the when we were talking about could it be Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan? You know, I don't, I don't, I think that's. That was always a little bit unrealistic, but now it's definitely unrealistic. All right, our shout-outs. Uh, mine is actually not for a current player, but is a former player. Uh, this weekend, Big Noon was in Iowa City, and they there is great hospitality. And, and I told you this offline, and I know this name didn't mean anything to you, but former Iowa uh, lineman, uh, Big E, who is a huge star in the WWE, and one of the just like a absolute – boulder of a man in terms of like could lift the gym at least before his neck injury and hopefully he gets back but one of the nicer people i think i've met and so the other night at at, uh at dinner we had a big table um at this restaurant long table he was on the other end of the table you know braylon edwards joined us as well former michigan star and um but like at the end of the night i he came over and he was like hey big fan of the podcast and it just kind of blew my mind for a second because that's definitely not what I was expecting a WWE star to mention. Um, and so you and I have talked about this a little bit in the podcast, how it always kind of is a pleasant surprise when we run into somebody, you know, anybody who says they listen to it. Um, but I was like, shout out to him because, I mean, that was probably the last thing I was expecting him to, to say to me. And it's, um, I don't know, just kind of... Uh, it kind of made me very appreciative of the platform we have. And so thank you to everybody else, not just him for the support you have for the show. It's, it's amazing. Anytime I travel, you get at least a couple of those. And 
Um, so shout out to you guys. All right, I'm going deep into the group group of five rabbit hole for my shout out. Okay. It's actually just blind luck that I stumbled upon this uh, as I was looking through my um, emails from the various schools last night. I think I know what this is going to be. Can I, uh, let me guess. It has to do with a, a the quarterback who has an older brother who played at Texas Tech. Is That's right? exactly right. Uh, I saw the same thing. It's the last note in my final thoughts this week. All right. You guys probably remember the name Jared Daigie from West Virginia. Okay. Starter at West Virginia for two years before transferring, but he had already transferred. So he started his career at Bowling Green. Then he goes to West Virginia for a couple of years. Then he transferred to Western Kentucky this past off season. Didn't win the starting job at Western Kentucky. So halfway through training camp, he transfers again to Troy on Saturday night. So he's not the starter or he wasn't the starter at Troy. That would be Gunnar Watson. Gunnar Watson gets hurt. Daigie comes off the bench leads them to a 34 to 27 victory against Western Kentucky, a school that didn't name him the starter in August. I mean, does it get any more legendary than that? By the way, I just want not that I don't already feel old, but I just realized Seth Dagey, the aforementioned guy I was talking about, and he was a, he was like a, a leech quarterback at Texas tech for a while. And now he is on Lane Kiffin's staff um, as an assistant. I mean, I feel like there's been a Daigie in college football for like 15 years. Well, there has been because Seth is, is, is sorry, Seth, if you're listening to this, you're in your mid thirties now. And I was like, man, Seth, he's probably like 27 years old now. And I was like, I remember seeing Jarrett when I drove through to spend like half a day at Bowling Green and he was there and, um, you know, it was early on and, you know, like they were very optimistic. It was a handful of, um, that was Jenks was, that was his coaching staff. And he obviously had a lot of Texas Tech ties. There was a bunch of Texas Tech guys on that staff. And this is what happens now when you have the portal as it is. You have, especially quarterbacks with these crazy journeys, you know, of whether it's JT Daniels or these guys, it's just very circuitous. And it's. Yeah. I'm not even, I don't even understand the like compliance aspects there, how he was able to transfer on August 16th to another school on August 18th. <clears throat> after having already transferred a couple times, I'm sure it has to do with that he's a grad, a uh, grad student, but uh, kudos to him. Um, also, can I do one more? Of course. Kudos to Coastal Carolina, Jamie Chadwell. We love that program. Um, they beat big win last night over Georgia Southern in dramatic fashion when they've got this like big stocky running back. Uh, CJ Beasley and we talk about you talked about the DTR hurdle this might have been even more impressive he midstream hurdles a guy doesn't lose a stride runs the rest away in the end zone for a game-winning 24-yard touchdown to keep Coastal undefeated very nice okay we will catch you guys midweek with our second episode uh, send all your questions if you have them to the audible pod at gmail.com also keep sending we've already gotten quite a few of these about the celebrity you know you we talked about meeting a celebrity who we were awestruck by uh in, in last week's episode keep I've, I, I checked the inbox we already got a few of them i'm going to save them up for wednesday send those to the audible pod at gmail.com and we'll see you next time mm-hmm.